Well, so far in this five-week series, we have considered the importance of spending time with God's Word, engaging with His Word, listening to what He has to say to us, not as information, but ultimately as transformation. So as we hear God's Word and we allow it to become integrated into our lives, we begin to live lives that honor God. Then we talked about the importance of prayer and that, that ongoing conversation that God wants us to have with Him. Uh, to include him in those conversations we have often with ourselves in life where we're talking kind of to ourselves, but to include him in that conversation so that he can inform and, and, and guide our lives in such a way that he's honored. Uh, then we looked at the idea of proactively stewarding our lives, saying, okay, I can't control most things in life, but I can, what, control how I respond and how I deal with those things in life. Uh, today... Uh, uh, last week we talked about worship, excuse me. We talked about the importance of, of worship because God designed us to worship and we're going to worship. So the question isn't who or what are we going to worship or if we're going to worship, but who we're going to worship and where we're going to worship and what we're going to do it. And Jesus makes it real plain. We're called to worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. When I was in college, uh, I, had, I started at Tyler uh, at junior college and then transferred to uh, to Baylor uh, in my the beginning of my sophomore year, and, and I'd already sensed a call to vocational ministry. I'd answered the call, if you will. Uh, my call has been for uh, all these years, three words, whatever, whenever, wherever, whatever God wants me to do, wherever he wants me to do it, whenever he wants me to do it. That's kind of the call that I sensed on my life, still do. Uh, but as I moved to Waco, I, I made myself available through the association to possibly uh, find a place to serve at a church and get involved uh, in a church and, and begin to get some experience uh, doing uh, vocational ministry, at least part-time. As a result, I was called uh, as the part-time children's ministry uh, minister and, and to help out with outreach to a church called North Waco Baptist Church. Uh, North Waco is, uh, uh, surprisingly enough, is in North Waco. Yeah, y'all with me? Okay. Uh, it's out almost by the lake. It's up kind of on the hill before you fall off to the lake. But anyway, uh, as part of this process of starting to learn how to serve, uh, they said, we want you to help reach out to the kids in the neighborhood. And I was about 20-something, and I had no clue what I was doing. Let me confess, I'm 50-something. I still have no clue what I'm doing. But here we are. And as we began that process, I began to reach out to kids. Uh, this was a neighborhood and church that at one time in its heyday had run close to 800 people in worship. It was a massive auditorium. Uh, but the church had struggled. The neighborhood had begun to change. Uh, this neighborhood had become a blue-collar neighborhood. It also became quite uh, diverse ethnically. Things were changing. And they said, we want you to try to reach out to some kids and bring those kids to Sunday school and to church. And I said, well, I think I can do that. So I went to work. Uh, the neighborhood was becoming more diverse. And so we took our vans, our van actually, and began to pick up kids who wanted to come to Sunday school, who wanted to come to church. And I want you to know, we didn't pick and choose the kids we picked up. We just picked up the kids because that was the call and the, and the, and the challenge. And so that included children of all colors. Uh, it included children uh, who uh, were Asian in background, uh, who were Hispanic in background, who were African in, in uh, their ethnicity. Uh, now, our church had a, a Hispanic ministry on campus. They met over in the fellowship hall on Sunday mornings. Uh, but many of these children really didn't speak Spanish, and it wasn't their primary language. Uh, but 
I was informed after not too long of serving there as we began to get things going that the Hispanic kids needed to go to the Hispanic service. And I explained to the pastor, I said, brother, they don't really speak English. I mean, I mean, they don't really speak Spanish. It's not their primary way of communicating. They're trying to live in our culture. He goes, it doesn't matter. They need to go to the Spanish church. I was stunned, shocked. I, I didn't know it mattered. Um, and I was unwilling to work in those limits. And so I stepped down and, and, and went on to a church where I was a member and then eventually a staff member and on today. A couple of weeks ago, our family were, was in Waco, and we had some extra time, and we were out driving around. And I realized as we came out of uh, Cameron Park that we were in North Waco. I said, let's go by and see the building. I hadn't been there since the 80s. And as we came around the corner, I noticed the sign in front of the building was not in English, uh, but was in Spanish. And I noticed that the cornerstone, however, still said North Waco Baptist Church. And I have to confess, I wasn't surprised by the outcome because that church continued to decline over the years to the point where they couldn't survive. And you're probably thinking, why is he telling us this story? Well, I want you to understand, these folks had a desire to reach people, but only people who look like them. And you don't often get that opportunity. God places people in our pathway. He places people in our lives to whom we need to share the good news. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. Because, my friends, we don't ever want to be a church that says we're open to everyone that looks like us and not to anyone else. We're called to simply share the good news. We come to the fifth of what I believe to be an essential spiritual discipline in our lives, and it's this, faithfully sharing the gospel with whomever God places in our pathway. I suspect this is an area that many of us struggle with. We go, but pastor, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to walk someone through the Roman road or through a faith salvation process. I don't know how to do these kind of things. So I just won't. I think we draw the line and the definition of evangelism and witnessing way too narrowly, my friends. We draw it as, well, if I don't sit down with them and walk them through the salvation's prayer and they get saved, then I didn't do my job. And I want you to know that is not the bulk of sharing the good news. It's much broader than that. I want you to grasp that this morning. Uh, Paul, if you remember, he was instrumental in planting a church at Corinth. Uh, he ended up in Corinth when he was trying to escape for his life. He ended up in a massive port city, a pagan port city, uh, containing lots of wealth and lots of perversion all at the same time. But in this setting, God used Paul's witness to call individuals to salvation, resulting in a church, and the church struggled with maintaining their faithfulness to God. Man, when you're living around a bunch of pagans, it's hard to be holy. In fact, I, I would say it's easy to be holy when the standard is so low at times. But here they are in this city, in this setting. They still had the high calling to be witnesses to their community and to share their faith. Paul writes to them about the importance of reconciliation in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, turn there. If not, the words will be on the screen. He's talking about restoring friendships, no doubt. But I suspect it's bigger than that. I think he's ultimately talking about the work of each follower of God of you and me as Christians to make clear the reconciliation with God that's possible through the good news of Jesus. And there's five things I want you to see from that this morning rather brief, rather briefly. 
Number one, sharing Jesus declares our changed hearts. We share Jesus because we've been changed. Look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul wrote to encourage a people of God living in a very pagan culture, stay faithful, don't give up. Much like in our day, it doesn't take much to appear different from the pagans of the world, but that ease of difference doesn't mean we need to slack off on our commitment. There's a lot we need to do. There's still much to do. And a big part of that is sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us, whoever they happen to be. Consider this, before Paul arrived at the people, with the people at Corinth, they had never heard of Jesus, they'd never heard of the cross, they'd never heard of forgiveness, they never got it until he shows up. And he shares that story with them, the good news with them, that act by God-man whereby humanity could be completely forgiven. Didn't make sense to them. Yet a group of them heard the good news and they answered the good news and received the good news and believed in the good news and they were changed because of that. This is why Paul says, you know the fear of the Lord. Their lives have been lived with a holy fear of the Lord a respect for what God's doing. And because they found that holy respect, they were then motivated to do what? To tell others. D.L. Moody is purported to have said this. He said, sharing Jesus is simply this. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. See, we've received, those of us who know Jesus, have received such a great gift of salvation. We really shouldn't be able to not talk about it. It's something that should just well up in our soul, something that just overflows in our life, and it declares our changed hearts. Because our lives have been changed, we've got to talk about it. We've received this great gift of salvation, so we're going to talk. We're going to share. We're going to speak. We want others to know. We want others to experience. We want others to have what we found. You remember the last time you found a really good deal at the store? What'd you do with that? Well, you bought up what you wanted, right? And then you probably told somebody about it. Oh, they got a deal over at such and such. They're to buy two and get 18 free. It's a great deal. It's 30% off or 40% off or 50%. They're paying me to take it out the door. We love to talk about those deals, don't we? My friends, as a child of God, we have been given such a great gift that we should be declaring it because our hearts have been changed. Peter wrote this. He said, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, doing it with gentleness and respect. See, knowing Jesus says this, I'm ready to talk about Jesus. Why? Because he is the most important thing in my life. He's the one that has transformed my life. He has kept me from becoming what I would have been without him. For those of us who knew him early in life and for those of you who meet him later in life, you recognize what he's delivered you from at that point. We're a beggar who found, who has found bread and we want others to beggar, other beggars to find it too. 
People at Corinth knew Jesus. They couldn't keep silent. They had to tell their friends, their relatives, their associates, their neighbors. They couldn't keep quiet. Sharing Jesus declares our changed hearts. Number two, sharing Jesus reveals the great exchange. Look at verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're out of our minds, it's for God, is what he's saying. And if we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Peter understood the reality that sharing Jesus carries the potential to be labeled odd, to be labeled different. But that doesn't free us from the need to share Jesus. See, ultimately, the love of Christ in our hearts really has no option but to, to burst forth like a spring of water, to explode out of us because that's what's in us. For as Jesus changes our hearts, we find ourselves in awe of what he has made possible for us. Paul summed it this way. One has died for all. The reformer Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. In this exchange, Christ takes unto himself the punishment for your sin and my sin, and then God grants us the perfection of righteousness that Jesus gives us. What an overwhelming thought. We get what we don't deserve for a cost we couldn't pay. He gives us what we need freely. He takes on our punishment so we can live a life of dedication and devotion. No longer are we what? Slaves to sin. We've been set free. But catch this. We've not just been set free to live as we desire, but we've been set free to find and live the, the desires that God has for us. He says, i got bigger things for you. He reminded them, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus' work at the cross provides the great exchange. And for those of us who've received this amazing gift, we're driven to share it. We've got to tell others about the great exchange. Look what God has done for me. And let me tell you, that includes speaking to the nice people and the not-so-nice people, to the the, the good people and the not-so-good people, the, the, the people we want to be around and the people, listen, we don't really want to be around. The same work that Jesus accomplished on my behalf was accomplished on behalf of the most vilest individual on this planet. The same blood shed for you is the same blood shed for the worst sinner you can imagine. He loves us. Remember Paul's words when he said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We share with others because he sets us free. Third, sharing Jesus is about finding a better life. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Say it with me. New creation. The old has passed away. Behold what? The new has come. There's a radical change that happens when we meet Jesus. And you're going, well, I met Jesus when I was a kid. Great. Me too. Maybe you met Jesus when you were older. Great. Others have too. But we share Jesus because we know him. We share Jesus so we can explain the great exchange. And we share Jesus because we want others to find a better life. We share our experience of God finding us 
because it's a roadmap that others can follow for themselves. You know, we sometimes think, well, does a person who follows Jesus in place in a place where Christianity is maybe illegal, is that, is that kind of like a waste on them? Oh, no. You see, whether you live 100 years after your day you trust Christ or one day after you live Christ, your eternity is set free and your day that you have or days that you have are now worth living. What really matters is that inward change initiated causing a person to become alive in Christ, dead to sin, but alive to Jesus. Notice what Paul reminded the church. If anyone's in Christ, he's a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. From the moment of genuine surrender to God, a better life has begun. For even if that person lives in a place where persecution will occur, where their life will be cut short because of their faith, the course of their lives is now different and eternity is sure. No longer are they on a road away from God. No longer is their eternal destination as hell and death. The trajectory of their lives has been what? Totally, completely altered. I don't know. Sometimes I think we become jaded to the whole thing, don't we? Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Wow. How can we dare become jaded to the things of God, to the gifts of God, the blessings of God? Let me remind you, the moment a person answers affirmatively to the call of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus, new life has begun. New direction has become. Jesus said it this way, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's true for an adult. That's true for a child. And some people say, well, I, I, I didn't really experience a lot of sinfulness and, and, and negativity and ugliness. I, I trusted Christ as a young boy. I trusted Christ when I was seven. Next Sunday morning, we, we're going to be baptizing four boys under 10 years old who have trusted Christ. I've got to tell you, none of those have been involved in serious sin and, and ugliness in their lives at this point. You know why? They just haven't lived enough to experience that. Praise God, right? But here's the beautiful thing about it. They trust Christ at a young age they will have a better shot at not experiencing that ugliness in life, not dealing with that negativity in life. Why? Because Christ will be within them. That power of God is just as good in their lives as it is in the life of the 25, 30-year-old man coming out of ugliness and sin and trusting Christ. Or the 70-year-old who finally says, I can't do it, I need God. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, we're going to love each other, we're going to trust each other, we're going to care for each other. And we're going to walk together, doing life better together. Fourth, sharing Jesus is experiencing reconciliation. Look at verses 18 and 19. All this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, another aspect of sharing Jesus is this idea of reconciliation. Many of us struggle to do things um, that we've never seen modeled, that we've never personally experienced before. When I was a kid, uh, I, I was convinced that I could drive uh, anything. I think I was about six uh, when I told my dad I'm ready to start driving. And, and dad chuckled uh, as well he should have because you don't put a six-year-old behind the driving uh, driver's seat or in the driver's seat. But I remember one day we were out in uh, 
northwest of Fort Worth, somewhere out there, and Dad drove an old Oldsmobile, Oldsmobile 98. The thing was about as long as an 18-wheeler. Uh, it was huge. And Dad pulled over on the side of the road and says, Are you ready? And I said, For what? He says, To drive. Now, let me confess, I was not quite 14 yet, but Dad had decided it was time to shut me up or something. I don't know. Or empower me to do more asking. I'm, I think it was probably the latter. So I got in the steering in the behind the steering wheel and I adjusted the mirrors and I got the seat where I could reach everything, and off we went. I got to tell you, I came to the first stop sign, and I never did. I just kept right on going. Now you're probably thinking, why is he telling us that story? Because I had watched my parents drive. I had watched them do all these things that you have to do to drive. And I thought I had it figured out. But when it came time, guess what? I didn't. I didn't really have it figured out. This idea of being reconciled to God is foreign to us. We don't get it. We don't understand it. I'm not even sure we get to see it modeled that often. But once it happens, once you're in the seat having to do it, all of a sudden you go, wow, look what God's done for me. He set me free. He's reconciled me to himself. He's changed my life. I'm no longer on a road away from God. I'm on the road to God. And I may miss a few stop signs along the way, but I'm headed his way. God, through his son Jesus, made the possible the way for us to be reconciled. But get this. Not only is God wanting to reconcile us to himself, which is sharing Jesus, but he also wants us to be reconciled to one another. This is an amazing opportunity that you and I as believers have in Christ because our commonality in this life is Jesus. We may disagree on non-essentials. We may disagree on a lot of things in life, but we find unity, don't we, in the things of Christ. This is where we come together. Peter wrote about this in his challenge to the audience that he wrote to. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, let one another, excuse me, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You know, I can love you and not agree with you on everything. But I'm called to love you. There's those of us who genuinely are in Christ. We cannot hold that animosity. We cannot hold those grudges. It breaks down our witness. It breaks down our ability to share Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus and I'm a follower of Jesus, we got to love each other. We got to love each other. And we can disagree, but we're going to love each other. Number five, sharing Jesus is ultimately being the people of God. You say, well, I thought we were supposed to come together to worship. We do. I thought we came together for Bible study. We do. I thought we came together to do ministry. We do. But ultimately, everything is wrapped up in this one thought, is that we come together because being the people of God, because we share Jesus. Why do we do children's ministries? Because they're lots of fun. They are lots of fun, aren't they, Michelle? Spending time with those kids. I come by on Thursday or Wednesday afternoon sometimes and listen in as they handbell practice. And it's work. I'm glad I'm not in there. But why do we do that? Why do we have children's ministries on Wednesday nights? Why do we have children's Sunday schools? Why do we have youth groups? Why do we have adult Bible studies? Why do we have all that stuff? Because we want people to what? No, Jesus. We're sharing Jesus. That's what it's all about, folks. Look at verse 20. Therefore, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, talking about Jesus' story declares we've been our changed hearts. Talking about Jesus' story helps others see the great exchange. Talking about our Jesus' story helps others find a better life. Talking about our Jesus' story leads to reconciliation. But ultimately, talking about or sharing our Jesus' story is just part and parcel of being people of God. That's what we're supposed to do. You want to find out what's important to somebody? Just let them start talking about what they want to talk about. Some of you go, I get tired of you talking about your kids and their successes and their things. Let me tell you what, I'm proud of my kids. I'm going to talk about my kids. Why? Because they are important to me. You say, well, what's important to me? You tell me. What do you talk about? What comes up in your conversations most often? The weather? Price of gasoline? It was down the other day. Does that make anybody happy? I don't know. Or is it something bigger in Jesus? As an ambassador, what we get to do is to be a representative of the one who sends us. And the one who sends us, listen, my friends, is none other than Jesus. We are his followers. We are his people. You see, people who, we can follow individuals and people do that and go, oh, I like Pastor so-and-so and I like Pastor so-and-so. I like this guy over here. This last week I, I was at the hospital for a little, little uh, outpatient thing and we were talking to one of the nurses there and she was telling me about a, a situation and it got off to a conversation with a pastor I know and how she didn't think much of him because he wasn't the guy that used to be there. And I thought to myself, how sad. We're not calling. We're not called to follow a pastor. We're called to follow Jesus. Jesus has got to be first. And when he is, we're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about him wherever we go. Here's the one who never sinned. He became sin, taking on your punishment for wickedness, my punishment for the wickedness, so we could be reconciled to God. And being reconciled to God is what sharing our faith is all about. The person who doesn't know Jesus is living as the old testament as the old translation said in enmity with God we're at odds with God but in Christ we are reconciled you know you don't have to save them it's not your job God gets to do that our task is to do this share the story you go well, I don't know what to say what's God done in your life just share that God can use some of the craziest things in life to bring people to himself. Stories we talk about in our lives that God's done this, he's gone this. Look what God, God's blessed me here. I want you to hear that because so often we think, well, I don't know how to get down to that last moment and share how to pray to accept Christ. It's okay if you don't know that. You can learn that. But the motivation to do it comes from within. And you want to talk about him. Titus wrote this, he said, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, 
we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, whenever we choose to be the people of God, sharing the good news of Jesus, God is lifted up and he's going to draw people to himself. And instead of us focusing on the differences, we're going to focus on the common good that God has for us and he'll be at work. Now, three things I want you to hear. Not on the screen, so just listen. Number one, sharing the good news may seem very scary to some of you. You oh, I can't do that. But what it is, is simply telling somebody the good that's happened to you. That's all it is. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. The old enemy wants you to not talk about Jesus. You know why? Because he knows that if people hear about the good news and hear about the forgiveness available, they might just accept it. But if he can get us to shut up, the witness isn't made. Sharing it may be scary, but it's just talking about the good in your life. Number two, there is a world of people who have no clue how much God loves them. This morning, our Sunday school class, our leader shared with us about a cross that he made and carried over to the gym on the high school campus. And people looked at him and said, what is that? as if it was some crazy foreign symbol. We think to ourselves, everybody knows Jesus. Everybody knows the world, what the Bible's about. Everybody knows what a cross is about. I'm here to tell you, we live in a culture that has become increasingly pagan, increasingly separated from the things of God, and there's a lot of people who have no clue what the good news of Jesus is. And they don't understand that God wants to reconcile them to himself. But God uses people like you and me to share the good news, to make those connections in life. I am convinced there are people you will encounter in a week that not one of us who work at the church will ever encounter, that you can speak a word of truth into their lives, a word of goodness into their life, a share a witness of the gospel into their lives. That's where the gospel is shared. That's how it grows. And then third, I don't know, Maybe today's the day that the Spirit's talking to you about following Him. Maybe today's the day you say, yes, I'll answer Jesus, and I want to follow Him. We're going to give you that opportunity here in a moment. I'll be here at the front. If you would like to come and pray with me, I'd love to do that. If you just need to come and pray at an altar, they're available as well. But you respond this morning as God is leading you. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house to engage in worship in different ways through kids playing music and singing and choirs singing and us singing and praying and giving and, Father, looking at your word. But Father, we want to live lives that respond to you. But I pray for those who need to make some sort of decision this morning. We give them that opportunity, not for us, but for them. And we pray, God, that you would help us to step out of our comfort zones and just talk about you a little bit. We don't know the answers. We just say, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me get it for you. But help us to be people who reflect your presence and grace in Jesus' name.